Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back in to another episode of the Coach Steve Show podcast, where today we're going to discuss everything in college football week two that needs to be discussed. The Scott Frost era is over. Poor, poor Jimbo Fisher versus App State, and we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about We Are Marshall versus Notre Dame. We'll talk about BYU outlasting Baylor. We'll talk about what's wrong with Iowa, Kansas football, scoring a lot of points and winning. We'll talk about that stuff and how Alabama almost just handed Coach Sarkeesian and Texas a win over the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're going to discuss all of that today. Welcome in. Make sure you hit the like button and the subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Follow me at Coach underscore Steve72 for podcast updates and to send me a message to be on the podcast or just have conversations on any podcast topic that is done on the show. Um... If I could get all my Twitter followers to subscribe to the YouTube channel, that would be fantastic. Uh, We start doing that. We'll start doing giveaways with gear and all that stuff that we can do, but we need more followers in order to do that. Um, Make sure you rate it on Apple and iTunes. Helps um, get the podcast growing and helps it out so much. I need people to start doing that. If everyone my Twitter Twitter followers could do that, that would be amazing. Or on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out the Belly Up Media Network at bellyupsports.com for podcasts, blogs, everything sports-related, non-sports-related, everything there. But if you are into sports, you are in the NFL. Every Sunday morning, there are lots of shows that will happen before the very first kickoff every Sunday with fantasy football, with picks, betting, and previews of the uh, games and things that are happening around the NFL. But you can only find those if you follow them at Belly Up Media on all Twitter Facebook, everything, but sports, everything there. So follow them and you'll get all that stuff there. So we'll start off with my picks. We're not going to talk about each game um, of the picks. Coming into week one, I was two and three. Or after week one, I was two and three with my picks. Uh, I am now four and seven. I was two and one, two, three, four, five. Um, I had Arkansas minus eight and a half, got that one right. Then I picked Tennessee over Pitt. Then the rest were not so good. Alabama, I picked minus 20 and a half, shouldn't have done that. Didn't get that one. Iowa State, I had plus three and a half. Um, was close, they won by three. I had Florida over Kentucky, I've learned my lesson on that one. And then I had Houston plus two and a half, did not get that one. So I went two and four this week, four and seven overall this season. We'll make a comeback uh, later on in the week when we do our college football week three bets and preview for certain games uh we will get back on track there the scott frost era is now over nebraska coming into this week it already been talked about whether or not scott frost's seat was hot i think during halftime when they played north dakota last week that it was 
talked about he was going to be done. Talked about it last year. Talked about going into this year. I never wanted someone to get fired, but it's over because Nebraska loses to Georgia Southern 45 to 42. Nebraska just could not get their offense to be to play consistently during this game. Their defense also couldn't stop Georgia Southern's offense. Georgia Southern scored 14 in the first, 14 in the second, 7 in the third, 10 in the fourth. Nebraska was losing in the first quarter 14-7. to Then Nebraska offense woke up a little bit and scored 21 points in the second, but also gave up 14. Then scored 7 in the third, 7 in the fourth. To lose 45-42. You got to give credit to Georgia Southern in this game because, well, they played well. Um, their quarterback had 409 yards passing. They had a 132-yard rusher. Uh, one of their receivers uh, had 119 yards receiving. Nebraska's quarterback uh, Thompson from Texas. I mean, he played well. He had 318 yards passing and a touchdown. Rushing had 138 yards rushing. They had 123 123-yard receiver. So things went well. When you score 42 points as an offense, you think you're going to win. But the defense didn't want to tackle nobody. They didn't want to, you know, actually didn't want to play defense at all. And I didn't know if it just kind of looked like they didn't have any excitement to be there. And those have been sometimes the things you see in Nebraska. It's another close loss. You've seen that all over with Scott Frost ever since he's gotten to Nebraska. After Coach Pelini had been there winning you seven, eight, nine, ten games a year. Sometimes it's okay to not go home. Sometimes it's okay to not coach where you played. I did it for a little bit, got my feet wet into coaching. And for me, sort of kind of worked out, but there's a small part of me that says, what if I went to, would have went to a different place and stayed away for a while? Um, but I wouldn't change some of that. So sometimes you got to be careful when you go back home. And I think because Scott Frost played quarterback there, was a part of those teams back in the day with Nebraska, his leash was a little longer to stay here because normally you saw the way this program was going. Coaches would have been fired much more quickly than with Scott Frost, but I think because he was from Nebraska, you know, playing Nebraska and everything, he he got more leeway with this program. And, you know, they wanted to play the card of he was rebuilding the program when he got there, though Coach Pelini again was winning eight, nine, ten games. I think Nebraska was just looking more towards, well, sometimes it's not always defense because Coach Pelini had brought in that defensive mind and they were winning close games because of defense. They wanted a guy to come in. They looked at what Coach Frost did at UCF, knows he knows offense, and says, let's get a guy in here that's going to do this for us on offense. Okay, but you also have to provide some defense. Alabama could score a lot of points, but their defense also has to step up as well. They can't give up 45 points to Georgia Southern. And then you lose too many close games throughout your your career. Now, I know of a couple of those swinging the other way. Two or three plays were made in each game. Scott Frost still has a job. They'd be winning seven, eight, nine games a year. They would be winning maybe 10 games a year. They would be having have some confidence, maybe win a game they're not supposed to. And I can't say this enough. I never want a coach to lose their job. I don't sit here and say I want Scott Frost to lose his job. But when you look at the landscape of college football, you look how coaches lose their jobs. The only thing I've ever said was or hinted at that, well, maybe he should have been gone by now because you look at how every other program works. Should have done it. This should have been done, especially at a program like Nebraska that travels well. He's given up too many big leads. He fired all the coaches last year and brought in new ones. I think he was asked not to call offense anymore, even though he claimed to already have an offensive coordinator to put the blame on. This year brings in an offensive coordinator that knows his stuff. But I just think it was too little too late at that point. Um, you know, comparable to Coach Bielma. If he didn't like the way the offense was going the very first year, instead of waiting for two or three years, then when everything's going to rely on him and his job, he's taking care of it right now. This is the type of stuff that should be taken care of before. But things that have been talked about for a long time. People are high in Nebraska coming into this year. Now they sit 1-2, one 1-1 and two, one and one at home. They lost to Northwestern in the beginning after giving up a big lead. They win last week, but they struggled up until halftime. Then they outlasted North Dakota. Then you cannot stop Georgia Southern at all, hardly, in the beginning of the game uh, with your defense. People thought they could win seven, eight games this year. Um that was the over-under for them, I believe. We talked about them. Their over-under for Nebraska was 7.5. I listened to all these other you know, 
podcasts and other shows for college football how good Nebraska was going to be this year. And I am on record saying North, they weren't going to do – I mean, maybe they can now. Maybe something will happen. Maybe this is a spark, like getting a technical in a basketball game to get your players to play well. Maybe they go on a win streak. I hope not when they go to play my Illinois Fighting Illini. But I said they were going to be in a downwheel spiral, downwheel spiral, and they were not going to go on. Now, I couldn't even have told you that they were going to lose to George Southern. I had them right now being 2-1 and one right now. I said they weren't going to beat Northwestern. I'm on record saying that. I'm on record saying that they'll probably beat North Dakota and on re- and on by principle beat Georgia Southern. So I am at 3-1 and one right now, and Scott Frost will still have his job. I thought this was going to happen later on. They wasted no time firing him. After the loss Saturday, next day on Twitter, it's, you know, not early morning, but it's not late. And... Um, they fired him. They wasted no time. I think they were done. They they had enough. Um, they just had enough of waiting around and seeing all these close games being lost and um, waiting for all of that to happen. Um, we'll make this on the screen better for people to see. Um, they put out this statement um, for Nebraska. Or, um from Vice Chancellor and Director of Athletics, um, Trev Alberts. Earlier today, I met with Coach Frost and informed him we were making a change in the leadership of our football program effective immediately. Scott has poured his heart and soul into the Nebraska football program, both as a quarterback and head coach, and I appreciate his work and dedication. After the disappointing start to our season, I decided the best path forward for our program was to make a change in our head coaching position. Associate Head Coach... Mickey Joseph will serve as our interim head coach for the remainder of the 2022 season. So they wasted no time. This was already in the works. If you're going to do this week three, week two, you thought about it. It was probably thought of last week versus North Dakota. This has probably been thought about last year as well. And they just kind of, you know, I think because in that statement, he's given us a lot as a quarterback and, and as a coach. So they gave him a lot more leeway, I think, than what most coaches would have been given in those situations. So the Scott Frost era is now over at Nebraska. Um, You have an interim head coach. We'll see what happens. It's an audition for him to maybe be the head coach there as well. There's already names swirling around, and we're not going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about maybe in a different episode. But there's names swirling all over the place, but it's hard to sit here and talk about these names being swirled around when it's week three. You know, those coaches are worried about their season. Hopefully they're not worried about – um, anything else in that nature of that. So the Scott Frost era is now over. He ends his record at Nebraska 16-31. and 31. Um, Not what you want to see at Nebraska, um, especially after you got rid of, you know, Coach Pelini later on or earlier, and he, you know, did very well there. Um, you know, looking at his records, you know, when Coach Bo Pelini was there, we've talked about before, he went, you know, 9-4, and 10-4, 10-4, 9-4, 10-4, 9-4, 9-3. They get rid of him because they want some offensive production. They think they should win national championships. And they got rid of him. Then you have Mike Riley in there who goes 6-7, and 9-4, and 4-8. And four and then Scott Frost comes in and goes 4-8, and 5-7, and 3-5, 3-9, and now 1-2 and two when he was fired. So Scott Frost era is now over in Nebraska. They will have their interim head coach. Then they will be on the search for a new head coach. And we'll talk about who could do that later on. Moving on. (laughs) A guy that was in the news a lot during the offseason due to people saying that they paid players for their recruiting because they're the number one recruiting class. Then you have Coach Nick Saban talked about in this school, and then he hold, the coach holds press conference and talks really bad about Nick Saban and then talks bad about him saying, we're done, we're not talking anymore. Then comes back and later on and says, oh, we talked, everything's good, I understand where he was coming from, blah, 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 blah. And an offensive guru minded of Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. They host App State, and they paid them $1.5 or $1.8 million. I'm not 100% sure exactly how much they paid him. I can't remember off the top of my head. They come into town to play Texas A&M on principle. I know Texas State scored 60-some points against North Carolina, but North Carolina is not Texas A&M. They're not the 12th man. They're not Jimbo Fisher, who you're paying millions and millions and millions upon millions of dollars. Um, You have the number one recruiting class coming into Texas A&M. You beat Alabama last year, you know, and then you you have this big hype for Texas A&M. 
and you pay a team to come play you in App State. App State has a history of beating Division I opponents. They come in and win 17-14. I'm going to say that again. App State came into Texas A&M, and they beat Texas A&M 17-14. That is absolutely crazy to say out loud, and especially to say it out loud twice. And here was a tweet that I that I saw earlier. I'm going to read it to you guys. Jimbo Fisher is paid nearly $800,000 per game. App State got paid $1.5 million for playing in College Station. Texas A&M just paid $2.3 million to get handed its ass on a platter by the Mountaineers. So you paid Jimbo Fisher $800,000 for the game, and then you paid them $1.5 million. This is a huge setback for Texas A&M. It's a huge setback. Poor Jimbo Fisher, poor Texas A&M. This is why you don't talk all this talk during the offseason. I understood it to a point because he wanted to defend his, the recruiting and his players, and you said this was a recruiting tactic that he had to to, to show that he's going to stand up for the players and show them to the parents. Look, I'm going to, you know, fight for your guys and everything else. And I I am on record somewhere on one of my episodes saying this is exactly what he was doing. Had to get a little sip there for for the rest of this. But when you continue to talk and you continue to be put in on the media platform, more eyes are on you, especially when you have this recruiting class, especially when you're labeled this offensive guru type of guy. And I've listened to a couple guys talk about Jimbo Fisher. Some, we know, really good things. He is an offensive mind. But I've heard people say that he is what's holding Texas A&M back because sometimes he outsmarts himself on offense. I you see him with this folder on the sideline, and he looks like and he has these glasses on. I'm not making fun of the glasses; he needs them to read. But it just looks like he's a dad trying to find the warranty for the washing machine. He looks like a guy trying to do his taxes, and I think sometimes he has too much in on offense. I think that that's what's holding them back. I've only really seen a handful of people that could be a head coach and a coordinator and have really a lot of success in college football. The first one to me to come to mind is Mike Leach. He's their offensive coordinator as well, but he, I think, has really balanced it where he could be involved in the defensive meetings, but he's also the guy that says, you know what, I'm going to hire the defensive coordinator, I'm going to have him hire the staff, and I trust them to just go, and then if I have to intervene on some things, I'm going to intervene on some things. He He knows what's going on, but he can call offense. But his offense is so simple that it's okay for him to call an offense. I think when you're trying to run a complex offense, you're trying to do some NFL things, I think, and you're doing a lot of shifts, you're doing a lot of this, you're doing a lot of out formation, but still having, you know, God, 50 plays, 80 plays, from the outside looking at what it looks like, you can outsmart yourself. I think if Jimbo let an offensive coordinator come in and just call the offense and he can just manage it, they'd be a lot better. Oh, but he has a national championship. Yeah, because he had a lot of talent and Jameis Winston. And a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. And again, Jimbo Fisher's a way better coach than I am, than I'll ever be. Knows way more offense than me. I'm not. Ta- I'm trying not to make this be like I'm talking all this smack about him. But when these type of things happen, you can't help but wonder if he just, be, just, just gave the offense up and be a head coach. And it's okay. That is perfectly fine. You know, uh, high school coaches do it. They're coordinators for a little bit in high school, and they give it up. College coaches do the same thing. Nick Saban's highly involved on both sides of the ball. There's guys that get hired because they're an offensive mind. They get hired as a head coach, and they give it to somebody. Scott Frost called the offense, and you see how that went until he gave it up. They're scoring more points this year, but then just overall, you should have done that a year ago. He did, if he would have done that last year, we might be talking a different story. But App State comes in and just takes it to Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M has a quarterback problem. Because your quarterback, Hannes King, only had 97 yards on 20 pass attempts. That's a problem. It's an offense where Jimbo Fisher still wants to run the football. You had 89 yards rushing. So guys couldn't get open. App State came in and said, we're going to play more physical than you. So somehow, you get out-muscled. And a team that's a smaller division than you, less money, less resources, comes in and beats you. So sometimes, this is the argument... Do we need to pay all this money? Do we need this stuff? App State ran the ball down their throat with Peoples with 112 yards rushing. 
and they 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 did well. They held on to the ball for a while, did good things. Um, Texas A&M had seven penalties, which hurt them. App State had the ball for 41 minutes, 29 seconds. So now the argument's going to be, well, Texas A&M wasn't on the field a lot. They, you know, whatever. I don't care. They had the ball for 18 minutes. Out of those 18 minutes, you only score 14 points. To me, you should have had 21 points, 28 points. Yeah, the defense should have stepped up to App State. I'm not saying that. But that's where, you know, Jimbo Fisher, if he was just a head coach and not worrying about calling offense for that game, he could go over there and help on the defensive side as well. If if that's, you know, if if he wasn't calling offense, he could do that. So that's why sometimes you wonder if Jimbo should give that up and just manage everything. But I don't really care. App State came in on their offense and say, hey, we're going to take as much time as humanly possible and keep that offense on the side. And they played better. They played harder. Now Texas A&M missed a field goal late. I believe it was blocked late on in the game in the fourth quarter to tie the game up. But this shouldn't happen. That defense shouldn't That shouldn't happen to their defense. To let App State have the ball for 41 minutes and 29 seconds compared to 18 minutes and 17 seconds for Texas A&M. So talking all this smack, now we'll talk about Alabama later on and what happened in their game. I'm not saying that Texas A&M is going to lose every single game, but this sets a step back. And the next game is going to be Miami. You best believe that Miami now has a chance. Arkansas is confident. Arkansas is going to have a chance. Mississippi State showed you that they can beat you, and they're confident in their quarterback. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for Mississippi State, who right now is 2-0. Beat Arizona, who played well the week before. Um, with a quarterback in Will Rogers who threw for 313 yards last week and four touchdowns, stuff like that. So you best believe Texas A&M, you have some guys on there. Then the one that everybody's circling right now in Alabama, and we'll talk about them later on. So Texas A&M is now set up to have a bad year again because of, I'm telling you, this game, circle this game. If their confidence is shot because of things that happened here, this is why. So Jimbo Fisher is going to have to really think about his offense, think about how things are going there and if he needs to give that up or not. But congrats to App State, and congratulations for getting $1.5 million from Texas A&M. The next, we're, we're just going through it all. You know, there's not going to be a shocker episode. This is just a recap because a lot of it was shocker, so we're just going to combine it. Um, Notre Dame comes off a tough loss versus Ohio State. They host, you know, Marshall Thundering Herd. This was a tough game for me because I'm a Marcus Freeman fan. Um, I love Marshall. I have a Marshall T-shirt. Uh, I am wearing green, you know, ironically or you know, unplanned. Went to talk about Marshall. Um, you would think on principle Notre Dame would beat Marshall. Uh, their their defense played pretty well versus Ohio State offense. It's supposed to be very very explosive. Notre Dame's offense struggled last week, but if they could figure it out, they would do well. Well, we are Marshall comes in and beats Notre Dame twenty six to twenty one. Notre Dame going 0-2 now. I guess technically they're 0-3 under Marcus Freeman. I personally don't count the bowl game because that's not technically his team. That's still Brian Kelly's team. And, you know, so, but technically he's 0-3 in his head coaching debut, which, again, the bowl game I find unfair. But that's just technically it's what it's going to be. It's going to be on there in a stat sheet. <coughs> Excuse me, but now he is 0 and two this year as a head coach, 0-1 at home against Marshall, who's now 2-0. This was a shocker to me. It was a shocker because I'd understand if Notre Dame won 26-21, 27-21, 20 27-21, you know, and then you're a little alarmed on the defense, but, you know, it would be okay because that's tell me your offense has fixed some of the problems it had. Again, this could be a year of college football where you've got these uh, young, smaller Division ones coming and winning. You've got these one double A's coming in competing. Maybe the transfer portal is a good thing because these guys are going everywhere. I don't have the stats. I don't have the proof on that. Uh, but maybe that's the year. But maybe it's, it's also a time where you're getting a lot of these head coaches, getting these guys to play hard. And I don't really know what's going on, but this is happening around college football the first week zero and week one and now week two. Um, Marshall, again, it's going to be a theme. Just played better than Notre Dame. The things that Marshall did well was uh, 
getting yards on a defense by Marcus Freeman. They had 364 yards. Um, they ran the ball on them. They wanted to control the clock as well. Now, they, didn't, they didn't control it as well as App State versus Texas A&M. They had the ball for 30 minutes and 47 seconds compared to Notre Dame with 29 minutes and 13 seconds. Um, but they ran the ball well. They had 219 yards rushing, and that's how they wanted to control the clock. Notre Dame only had 350 yard, 51 yards total. Uh, they had 130 yards rushing, 221 through the air. Marshall only had 145 through the air. Um, but Notre Dame threw three interceptions. So defensively, you give up 26 points, but when the offense turns the ball over three times, that puts the defense in a horrible situation. Yes, you're going to, the defense is going to take the blame for this game, or part of the blame, excuse me. And But against Ohio State, Ohio State just scored on them because when you only score 10 points on offense and the defense is out there a lot, that's tough on them. Same thing with this game. Defense was out there, going back and forth. Now, I know they were only out there for 30-some minutes, but to, to to get off the field, offense throws an interception, you go right back in. It wasn't like the offense was giving them time all the time to game plan and everything, make those adjustments. And then when you throw an interception, if you're Notre Dame, it gives Marshall confidence. Confidence, this is why I've always said it, it's X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. If you have a game plan and there's Jimmy's and Joe's on that side, you usually win. But then there's also this other thing we don't talk about, which is confidence. You have confidence, everything can go. Everything can be thrown out the window. Everything can go. Rivalry games, you got confidence. Everything is thrown out the window. And when Marshall got confident, this is what was happening. These are the things, what they did to win the game. So Notre Dame's offense is struggling. They struggle against Ohio State, whose Ohio State's defense got better. So now it's going to be a conversation of, is Ohio State defense better or is Notre Dame's offense just just struggling? Struggling at the quarterback position. Struggling running the football. Maybe the defense is fine. Maybe the defense, you know, people are going to talk about the defense because of Marcus Freeman being a defensive guy. But when you have Tyler Butcher, the quarterback for Notre Dame, throw two interceptions, 201 passing yards. Then you have Drew Pine throw three for six, 20 yards. He had an interception, but he also threw a touchdown. Then running the football, your quarterback's leading rush for 44 yards. That's not Notre Dame football all the time. Then your next rusher is Estimane, who had 33 yards rushing. You had Michael Mayer, the receiver, that's stepping up with 103 yards reception. Styles had 69 yards reception. Kyle Buchanan or Kevin, Kevin Bowman, sorry, had 22 yards. Where they're going to blame the defense is where they allow one running back, Laybourne, for Marshall for 163 yards rushing. That might be where they start to blame the defense, but I'm looking at this going, defense is trying. Defense is doing what it can. It's still forming, you know, maybe Marcus Freeman didn't get to do everything he's doing. He brings in a guy from the NFL to really do defense, so maybe Marcus Freeman has to step in and say, hey, hey, I know you're in the, you were in the NFL, you're bringing good things in, but this is what I want to do, this is what worked, because they had a good defense last year, this is what works. He had a good defense when he was at Cincinnati. But the offense, something's got to give with the offense, something's got to change. So Marcus Freeman's going to have some soul-searching with himself to do this week. They're going to have a lot of soul-searching with the whole staff, and things are going to be changed. I think they'll bounce back, but they're running out of time already, which says a lot for week two being 0-2 because now you go to Cal. Cal comes to town. Then you got North Carolina that's proven that it could score points. BYU, which we're going to talk about actually next on my list, they outlasted Baylor. That's not going to be a give me. Stanford played tough versus USC. And then later on, Syracuse has confidence now. Clemson's going to be a tough game. USC's going to be tough. So you got to start figuring some of that offense out now. Marcus Freeman's going to have some talks with that offense to try to figure out what's going on there. But Marshall gets the win over Notre Dame, which unless you're a Marshall fan 100% through and through, I don't know if anybody pictured that coming. Um, We just said BYU, so we're going to move on with that one. I said on my college football week two preview, this was a game that you needed to circle because – BYU is a tough team. BYU's offense is pretty good. Um, their old O-line coach is now at Baylor. Big wide zone stuff. And that this was one of those games I said for Baylor that you have to circle because 
This could be a trap game, which is a term that's often used when you listen to podcasts and shows and stuff on sports, a quote-unquote trap game, which is where, well, it's a team that they should beat, but it's a good team that they could lose to as well. And I, I think Dave Aranda is one of the best college football coaches, head football coaches out there, great defensive mind. Um, but BYU goes under the radar a lot. They get big offensive linemen. They get good quarterbacks. You know, the last one was Zach Wilson. He was a good quarterback. They get good running backs. They get good linebacker play. And it was just one of those games that was flying a little bit under the radar. And so I think it would be a good one for people to watch. And I'm on record saying to watch this one. And it was. Um, It took overtime. It took overtime to get this done. And in overtime, Baylor couldn't score. And then BYU comes in in overtime and wins. They outlasted them. Because they're tough. They're just as tough as a lot of these Power 5 schools. Even though I know Baylor's in the Big 12, which Big 12 could disappear at some point. Them are the Pac-12, and they can combine. But BYU is a tough team. They've always been a tough team. They always have tough players. I know they got beat by Coast Carolina last year, but Coast Carolina is a really good program. They have really tough kids. Not the biggest kids, but they have tough kids. BYU can get both. They can get big kids. They can get tough kids. And they always find a way to have a good quarterback. They always find a way to have, you know, either a good running back or good receivers. And they can just compete. And they just outlasted Baylor in this game. They just outlasted them. Baylor had chances to really put their foot down and score. They really had opportunities to take control. But they didn't. BYU outlasted them. BYU held on. Nobody turned the ball over. Baylor actually had the ball longer for 34 minutes, 15 seconds. They just didn't convert. They didn't finish. Uh, BYU had the ball for 25 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, Baylor had way more penalties, 14 penalties, that cost them 117 yards. Um, They actually ran the ball more. They had 152 yards rushing, and they had 137 yards passing. BYU realized that Baylor was really good at tackling, really good at stopping the run, so they switched to the pass game and had 283 yards through the air, 7.1 yards per completion. They only had 83 yards rushing, so they adapted to what Baylor was going to stop them at. Because I, I said this, BYU is good at wide zone stuff. They're good at getting a running back going. But if you're going to take that away, they find a way to have a quarterback play well. Um, Jaron Hall, when he was 23-39, 261 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty good to me. It's pretty good. Um, BYU always actually always has tough linebackers, too, as well. Um, they really held Baylor and contend and tackled well and... Held them to 137 yards passing. Now they did run the ball a little bit, but um, they did what they had to do and outlast them. And now Baylor gets knocked off, ranked pretty high. And now BYU is in the conversation to be very good this year. They're 2-0 right now. And they have opportunity to win a lot of games this year. Oregon's coming up next. I do think BYU can beat them. Uh, Wyoming, I think they can beat. Utah State, they can beat. And if Notre Dame keeps going on a spiral like they are, that, again, we talked about that's not a give me. Arkansas, I don't know. Liberty, they I think they could win. So there's a lot of games on here for BYU to win. That doesn't mean Baylor's season is over. It doesn't mean anything like that. Coach Dave Rander will figure it out. It's just one of those games. It's just one of those games where it was a good back and forth, defense, confidence, key thing here, confidence. Baylor's schedule, they have plenty of chances to win games. So they'll still be around. I haven't picked to be one of the ones that could compete for the Big 12 championship once again. There's plenty of stuff for them to do and win games, so not counting them out yet, but I said this was going to be a fun, exciting game to circle on your calendar. People just sleep on BYU, and I don't know why, but congrats to BYU winning 26-20, outlasting Baylor in overtime. I tried to tell you guys that was one to watch, but they get the big win, um, but Baylor still can bounce back from that loss. All you football coaches out there, it's not too late to still be looking up drills. I know we're in our football seasons, going into our football seasons, but it's never too late to get back to the basics. And Coach Stone has done just that by creating his Back to the Basics drill manuals. So if you go to CoachStoneFootball.com, click on Back to the Basics drill manuals, there's Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner drills out there for everything special teams offense defense strength and conditioning everything he has done all the work for us to be simple to get these drills to help us you could be using even youth high school and even college we we make things too complicated we need drills that are simple and back to the basics his very first book is over 500 pages of drills so go again go to coachstonefootball.com click on back to the basics drill manuals and uh let's get back to the basics thank you coach stone for sponsoring the podcast Football coaches out there, do you ever stop and think about all the hits your big guys are taking in the trenches, your D-line, your offensive line? Because they hit each and every play. And that's why it's the best position in football. But they take a lot of hits and practices into the game. It's a lot of hits they're taking, a lot of blows. So there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the impact those guys are taking each and every week. And it's Guardian Caps at Guardian Sports. It helps reduce the impact by up to 30%, which is huge. So there's a way to protect the helmets, protect those guys. Uh, again, that's Guardian Sports. If you go to guardiansports.com slash guardian dash caps and you use the code 15 off, it's going to save you 15% off your order. Um, there's different colors out there and it doesn't matter if you're buying one, two, three, four, a hundred. doesn't matter. It's worn by over five NFL teams. More NFL teams are adding more and more each day and you're seeing on TV and over 200 plus colleges. Again, you're seeing colleges left and right get them. There's a reason why they're getting them. And they that's why you see a lot of linemen and defensive linemen wear them. You've seen Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Penn State, and big-time NFL teams wear them. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. And I know it costs money, but I'm here to save you money. So guardiansports.com slash guardian-caps and use the code 15OFF. It will save you 50% off your order. Thank you, Guardian Sports, for sponsoring this podcast. One game that I got wrong... And I won't make that mistake again with Kentucky. Was Kentucky getting the win over Florida uh, 26-16? to 16. I picked Florida over them, and I said it'd be a close one. And this was a close one. It was just going to the other side. Um, to justify it, I thought that Florida being on a high, beating the number seven ranked uh, Utah, beating them if, um, you know, Richardson could continue to play well or take that next step forward nothing against Kentucky it was just Kentucky you know sometimes goes up and down they're always competitive they're going to play tough I didn't know if they were going to quite take that churn of this corner of continuing to grow as a football program you know it's been said they're a basketball school but their football program has always been sometimes competent but sometimes not but he's done a very good job I think it's a tough place to recruit sometimes for football and that's just me on outside looking in this was nothing against them it was just I looked at it and said, you know, if if this confidence builds up, um, they could get the win. I was incredibly wrong. I apologize, Coach Stoops and University of Kentucky. Um, they get the close win, the hard-fought 126-16 against Florida. Coach Napier's second game. Um, now there's film on Florida and what he wants to do. That also helps out um, teams that play them after that week. When you're a new head coach coming in, they get film on what you're going to do and are able to game plan for it. Coach Napier is still trying to get recruits in. He's still trying to build this up to where he needs to be. But I got it wrong, and I apologize to them at the University of Kentucky. Um, But Kentucky played tough. Uh, They had more first downs. They had the ball longer. Um, They did have one interception thrown, but Florida turned the ball over twice with two interceptions thrown. Um, Kentucky saw that. They would have more success passing the ball um, on play actions. That's how they got a couple big plays in. They had 202 passing yards and only 70 rush yards. Florida tried to do both. They were very balanced. They had 136 yards rushing and 143 yards passing. They actually had more yards than Kentucky. Um, I believe they had a couple more explosive plays, I guess, or bigger plays. Uh, pretty even on penalties, two for Kentucky, three with Florida. So, again, kind of like the Baylor-BYU game, uh, Kentucky made more plays to win and outlasted Florida uh, to beat them. 
And in Florida, having an extra, you know, that extra turnover doesn't help. Richardson did not play as well as he did before. He was 14 to 35 with that 143 yards passing. He threw the two touchdowns um, rushing. He only had four yards rushing. So Kentucky really said, you know what? If you're going to beat us, he has to throw the ball. And that was talked about after the game last week versus Utah. And I and, and you know I thought about confidence wise, if they continue to take that step forward, is what they could beat them. And again, I, Kentucky coming in for me was a question mark. Now I get to see them play a little bit more. You know, some of those question marks are no longer a question mark. Um, they still play decent at quarterback. Does what he needs to do. Um, Will Levis, 13 of 24, 202 yards, 8.4 yards per completion, a touchdown. He did have an interception. Um, running the football, they balanced it out. Um, Smoke had 80 yards rushing. Wright had 27 yards rushing. The receivers, nickel and dime them down the field with 83-yard receiver here, 43-7-yard receiver here. Um, they hit hard on defense, played well on defense to hold, a, to hold the team to 16 points. And their defensive game plan was, well, Richardson, you're going to have to beat us throwing the ball. We're going to stack. You're going to do things to where you can't move. And I think Florida knew that coming in. That's what teams are going to start doing to them. So Richardson kind of showed, you know, people are like, oh, Heisman candidate, Tim Tebow guy. No, he's not a Tim Tebow guy. He can't be put in the Heisman conversation. Um, they will continue to get better. Coach Napier will continue to get that program to grow um, and try to change, to add his culture into it. Coach Stoops has his culture in there. They are slowly turning that corner where each and every year they're going to be ranked. They're going to come in and compete and hit people, play good linebacker play, tackle well. And their schedule, I mean, it's a tough schedule, but they'll step up to those challenges. They'll compete. I think they're now at that churned corner where they're going to say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to play a better team. Maybe some of you guys have more athletes, but we're going to game plan very well. We're going to hit you and our linebackers. I think our defense are going to play well. Um, we, we have fullbacks, we have big tight ends, we can do all those things. Um, and I think that's that's how Kentucky's going to look the rest of the year, watching them the first two weeks. Um, Florida's still going to have some question marks, and if you know people force Richardson to beat them through the air, they can run to some issues until he starts to get a lot better throwing the football. They have a tough schedule as we get right into the middle of it, but there's games in there that will help build some confidence with South Florida, East Washington, then later on, I know Vanderbilt's a little bit better, but at the end of the year, Florida State, depending on how they play, but Florida's still going to be in that type of situation they're in last year, and then I think next year, depending on the development, I know we're in week two, week three, I guess if you count week zero, but week three, um, to see where they go and how that looks is more when we'll get more out of them, but I got that wrong, Kentucky, I apologize, um, you did play well and you hit well and did everything that you needed to do to win. Let's get to the game outside of some of those others. One of the games that everybody wanted to watch, had, everybody had high expectations for one of the teams, and I said they would win by 20 and a half points because that's what it was, and I thought that's what was going to happen. Alabama Crimson Tide versus the Texas Longhorns. I, again, have to apologize to a team. Alabama gets the win 20 to 19 versus Texas. Unless you are a true, true, true diehard Texas fan where you're one of those fans that always picks your team to win. I've done it with Illinois. Unless you're one of those people, you didn't see this coming. I know some Texas fans, and they didn't say this. They didn't see this coming. I didn't see it coming. So I have to apologize to the Texas program because, by God, they they played tough. Um, Alabama did a lot of things themselves. They had a lot of drop passes to their wide receivers, which is uncharacteristic. They gave up big plays. They allowed confidence in another team. I said last week Alabama when they played Utah State, and I wasn't talking about the 55-0. and 0. That's, a, that's a game they're going to win. I just said there was points of that game where they looked like they played angry. And it looked like they are a team that is angry about not winning the championship they're angry about losing to Texas A&M, and they were angry to lose to Georgia in the national championship game after being them in the SEC um, championship. And that's what it looked like. So I thought coming into Texas that we would continue to see that. Now, I didn't think it would be 55 nothing, but yes, I thought it could be by 20 points. And the reason why I said that was because it could be 48 to 20. It could be 47 to 20. And... I thought it could be something like that where Texas does get its points, but Alabama with their Heisman Trophy winner and everything could get those points and the way they are. 
But coming into Alabama's year, they did say you got to watch the wide receivers. They're not the same wide receivers. They're talented. They'll, they'll get into their own. There was a little bit of offensive line breakdown as well in this game, which last year that was one of the quote-unquote weaknesses of Alabama that everybody talked about was their offensive line. And even I said it, when you watch it, yes, absolutely, it wasn't the same offensive line that it was during the COVID year, or some are in the NFL right now. But their weaknesses in their offensive line, those weaknesses with that offensive line still could have been a strength on another team. You take that offensive line and put it on another team, it would be a positive, and they would still do well. We just are looking at Alabama standards. So I saw a lot of drop passes with wide receivers. I saw... Offensive line not run, protect the whole time. Uh, Trey Young didn't get a lot of those passing yards till near the end of the game. I think at one point he had like 90-some yards passing. So you got to give kudos to Texas. Steve Sarkeesian and staff came in with a good game plan. Uh, they fought and fought and fought. It was talked about Texas getting the, the recruits they got in, the transfer portal guys that they got in, and it showed. It showed that they got really up for this game. They competed. Sarkeesian had good stuff going on offense to move the ball a little bit. Their defense came and just said, you know what, we're not scared of you. We're going to go right at you. But Alabama also didn't play well, but you have to give more of those kudos to Texas. Um, their quarterback, Quinn Hurts, you know, or it came out that he's going to be out for a little bit um, with his shoulder. So they had to play two quarterbacks. So that's where you have to give a lot of credit to them. Um, they didn't run the ball well in Alabama, but they said, okay. I'm going to game plan. I'm going to get guys open in the pass game. Alabama gave up a lot of yards to that. Um, and then Alabama themselves, rushing didn't do well. McLean had 97 yards rushing, but they're used to run the ball more. Bryce Young got 38 yards rushing. He had 213 yards passing and one touchdown. Um, so just a good back-and-forth game. But it was just where we did not expect this. I didn't expect it. Texas had more first downs in Alabama, 25-16. to 16. Alabama did better on third down, 5 of 15, 3 of 12 for Texas. Alabama had to get a fourth down at the end, um, 1 for 2 on fourth downs. Alabama had 374 yards. Texas had 371 passing. They had more passing yards, 292 yards uh, for Texas to 213 for Alabama. Alabama had more rushing yards, 161 to Texas, 79. But Alabama had a lot of penalties, which helped keep Texas in this game. So it just goes down the list of uncharacteristic Alabama mistakes. 15 penalty yards that cost them 100 yards. Texas had the ball longer for 30 minutes and 44 seconds versus 29 and 16. Um, Again, when you watch the game, you saw some of the offensive line breakdown stuff uh, where Texas got pressure. They really contained Bryce Young up until the end. And they were able to jam receivers. Receivers dropped the football a lot. It was just uncharacteristic things that you were seeing from Alabama. But Texas played tough. They played Alabama tough versus them. They even came down and had a field goal. They were up. They were beating Alabama going in. And Alabama had to march down the field and kick a field goal. And they had Bryce Young dead to rights. Guy came flying in. They blitzed the right guy. Came flying in for the tackle. Bryce Young ducks underneath, runs, gets the first down, and continue that drive. Continue that drive. Bryce Young's a lot of his yards came in late in the game. So poor Texas, they were literally right there to win. Right there to win. They gave everything they had. Everything they had. And they still couldn't beat Alabama. So that shows how good Alabama is when a team gives them everything they got. But what's going to happen when they play Georgia? What's going to happen when they have to play Tennessee? And no offense to Texas, I think some of the other teams are better. So what's going to happen there? So those are question marks for Alabama. And I know uh, that was probably not a fun time after the game Saturday. If they have meetings on a Sunday, that's not fun. And this week of practice will not be fun for Alabama. But it shows how good they are when a team gives them absolutely everything they've got, literally everything, and even lose a quarterback over it. And Alabama can still come down and win. You know, Texas being up 19-7 to and Alabama coming down kicking a field goal to win because they were able to march down the field and score. Made big pass plays. Bryce Young, dead to rights, had to make that escape. So does it worry you a little bit about Alabama? Maybe a little bit. But I kind of compare this to the Florida game last year. Florida played very, very, very well against Alabama. Florida was very highly talked about coming in. And they gave everything they had to Alabama. Then when they lost to Alabama, it just went all downhill. 
and that could very well happen to Texas. So like I said, it's going to go one of two ways. Texas continues on saying, hey, we did this to Alabama. We, we were capable of doing this. We can do this to anybody. Do this to anybody. And so let's continue this momentum and let's go win the Big 12. Let's compete in the Big 12 heading into the SEC when we get there. Or could be like Florida where, hey, we did everything good, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, yeah, but we gave everything we had and we didn't win. And it could go downhill from there. So this is going to be a real test for this Texas long-run program and Steve Sarkeesian to see where they go from here. But Alabama squeaks away at the win. Makes you a little worrisome about Alabama when they really start getting into their schedule, um, when they start playing other teams. Now, luckily, you know, you can kind of fix some things against you and Elm Monroe. Vanderbilt's better, but you can fix some things there too. And then you get to Arkansas, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU, Old Miss. That's where it really starts to pick up. And by then, you hopefully have a lot of things fixed. Maybe the Alabama players overlooked Texas. I know Nick Saban and them didn't. Uh, but things got to get fixed on offense. You're a defense that held a team to 19 points. So you're still going to do those things. But the offense is going to have to figure some things out. Those wide receivers are going to catch balls in their sleep because um, they dropped a ton. So those are things that Nick Saban will fix. But they got the win 20-17. to 17. Um, To slowly wrap up the show, I said this. I had Iowa State plus three and a half. They win over Iowa 10 to three. So you tell me they couldn't have scored another few points. Um, I said if this was a year for Iowa State to get the win over Iowa, this was the year. And they did it. They got the win over Iowa 10 to seven. Iowa's offense struggled against South Dakota State, uh, the Jackrabbits. Their defense, I mean, their defense did what they're supposed to do. Um, you hold, you know, do what it's supposed to do. And the defense, technically, in this game, Iowa, they did what they're supposed to do too, to hold Iowa State to ten points. So it's not. I don't know if it's necessarily a defensive issue for Iowa. It's an offensive issue because as an offense, you only score seven points for the second straight week. And as an offense, I mean, the offense didn't even score last week. They had two safeties and a field goal. This week, they score a touchdown in the first quarter and then never do it again. Um, Iowa State had a long drive at the end but when your offense isn't scoring and the defense has to be out there a lot that's the type of stuff that's going to happen Iowa State had the ball for 38 minutes and 15 seconds to Iowa's 21 minutes and 45 seconds so that defense is out there a ton so again like we talked about the Illinois Indiana game they gave up a long drive at the end what what would you expect when the offense isn't doing that it's supposed to do and Iowa's offense isn't doing what it's supposed to do, so it gave up that long drive to Iowa State to win the game. That's what's going to happen. Iowa State had 21 first downs to Iowa's 11. Third downs, Iowa State was 10 of 20. Iowa's 3 of 11. Iowa only had 150 yards of total offense. Iowa State had 313. Passing yards, Iowa only had 92 and 58 rushing yards. Iowa State had 184 passing yards to 129 rushing yards. The defense is doing what it can. It even caused three turnovers for Iowa State. They fumbled it and two interceptions. So Iowa's defense is trying. Iowa's offense fumbled the ball twice through an interception. Quarterback play from Petrus is not going well. He's 12 of 26, 92 yards and interception. Rushing yards, their leading rusher. Williams had 34 yards rushing. Their leading receiver is 55 yards. Iowa, there's something going on there with Iowa. Their defense is trying. They always have good linebacker play. They'll have a good defensive lineman. Their safeties will come down and tackle well, and that's what's happening. I'm not no no offense to Iowa State's offense. They're not like this world-beating thing. They had 313 yards, but that's because Iowa's offense is on the field or defense is on the field a lot. This is not going to be a good year for Iowa. I know they're one and one. Not going to be a good year after watching this. Because I don't know what major changes they could make. Could Rutgers beat them later on? I think Michigan could beat them. I'm going to tell you right now, depending on what happens in the next couple weeks, Illinois is going to squeak out of that one. Ohio State's going to stomp them. I even think Northwestern's offense is tougher. So this could be a really bad year for Iowa, the way things are going. Now it's early. Again, it's week two. They're one and one. But what's wrong with Iowa? Their offense stinks. And I'm, Iowa's never been this team that's going to come in and score 50. They have. But you think of Iowa as a defensive team, eye formation, hard running, short passing game, eventually opens up a big pass type of team. That's what you think. 
but their offense right now is struggling. They can't hardly couldn't move the ball at South Dakota State. Couldn't hardly move the ball against Iowa State. Their defense is getting worn down in two weeks. They're on the field a lot. So something's not going right with Iowa, and they've got to figure it out quickly before some of these Big Ten teams start coming up. And this is not something you talk about with Iowa. It's not. Usually have competent quarterback play to do the things they need to do to win. It's kind of like a Jimmy G quarterback each and every year where they just find ways to win the game. So something's wrong with Iowa, with Iowa Hawkeyes, but congrats to Iowa State. Iowa State to get the win. I said if it's going to be any year, it's going to be this one. Um, but something wrong with Iowa. They've got to get it fixed. To wrap up the show, just wanted to bring this up. The Kansas Jayhawks are now 2-0. and They are 2-0. and The Big 12, that one we talked about. The over-under for Kansas was 2 and a half. I took the under. Last year they went 2-10, and 1-8 and in Big 12 play. I took the under. Well, right now they're at 2 with the opportunity to get to 3. They won over West Virginia, who almost beat Pittsburgh the week before, mind you. They played very well against them. They lost in overtime 55-42. to So think about that. 55 to 42. Kansas Jayhawks 2-0. Is that something you thought we'd be saying right now? Now, you're wondering, how did they score that much in the overtime? Well, they scored a touchdown, and then they threw an interception, they return it, um, and it counts as, you know, they scored another touchdown where um, it's probably over. But they won 55-42 to over West Virginia. Shocking. That is completely shocking, and no offense to the coaching staff of Kansas, but, again, you just don't think of this when you think of Kansas. You think of basketball, or and then you think of a struggling football program that they're trying to turn around. Both quarterbacks last name Daniels. Um, you know, JT Daniels played well. 28 of 40, 355 yards passing, three touchdowns. He did have an interception. Um, played well. Running the ball was okay. Mathis Jr. for West Virginia, 59 rushing yards. Donaldson, 48 yards rushing. Justin Johnson Jr., 29 yards rushing. Bryce Ford Wheaton had 152 yards receiving. Sam James had 91 yards receiving. So, I mean, when you look at their offense for West Virginia, score 42 points. They're doing their job. It's the defense. West Virginia scored 14 in the first, 14 in the second, and then didn't score again until the fourth quarter. They scored 14. Kansas went on a run. They scored none in the first, but then 21 in the second, 14 in the third, 7 in the fourth, and had their 13 in the overtime. Their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, 219 yards throwing with three touchdowns, played well. Running the football, he also had 85 yards rushing. Uh, Hishaw Jr. had 63 yards rushing. David Neal had 42 yards rushing. Then they spread it around to the receiver, 66-yard receiver, 50-yard receiver. Kansas just didn't give up. I think they started to play free and say, no one expects anything out of us at all. We're just going to play free. We're going to do what we want to do. And that's what they did. Um, West Virginia, again, had the two turnovers. They fumbled it and threw an interception, which gave them life. But you look at the stats, West Virginia should have won the game. 501 total yards. 355 through the air, 146 on the ground. They had the ball for 32 minutes, 27 seconds. Kansas had a lot of third down efficiencies. They were 11 of 15, which is fantastic. They were 1 and 1 on fourth down. West Virginia was 8 for 15 on first down, 3 and 3 on fourth down. Kansas had the ball for 27 minutes and 33 seconds. They had 219 through the air, 200 on the ground. So when you look at this, you go, man, West Virginia should have won. But when you give Kansas two extra possessions, you lose by those. That's that's those are difference makers. Um, I do think Kansas is going to start playing free and say, you know what, nobody expects a damn thing out of us. We're just going to play free. West Virginia's offense did what it needed to do. It's defense. Don't know if it overlooked Kansas. I don't know if it just decided, yeah, we're we know it's Kansas. Our offense is going to do its thing. It didn't do it. So that coaching staff again. Now West Virginia is sitting at zero and two. 
which they can win some games, but they're sitting there at 0-2 with a good head coach, a good quarterback. They're 0-2. Kansas is 2-0. So can Kansas get over the, the 2.5 win mark? They play Houston. Houston lost last week or this week. Duke beat North Northwestern. That'd be tough. So where are they going to get their next win? I don't know. Don't know. It had to be Houston or Duke. Because after that, you got like TCU, Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Texas, Kansas State. But Kansas is in a 2-0 with that big win over West Virginia. Um, congratulations to them getting that big win and being 2-0 and scoring 55 points. Kansas football scoring 55 points. That's a lot. Um, so that's going to wrap up our college football week two recap. There was other great games that happened, but these are the ones that caught my eye and I was able to research and watch and look at. Um, so that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys for watching and or listening. Again, follow me at Coach underscore Steve 72. If all my Twitter followers could like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, that'd be fantastic. Um, follow right on Apple and iTunes as well. It goes a long way for that. Check out all the affiliates in the description below. Leave a comment in the comment section down below. You got to follow me on Twitter to be there when I give you either it's a live podcast and you can call in like we're live on YouTube or anything or just a normal recording, but just to go call in and be a part of it. So we get, we're going to get all that set up. Um, so again, you guys, for thank, thank you for watching and for listening. This is Coach Steve, and we will see you next time. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.